skipped our 40th wedding anniversary, September 16th. And uh, Fran, Fran is in uh, British Columbia, and I'm here. And what's new? She said, you know, in the last 10 years, how many, she could probably count maybe three times that we've been together on our anniversary. So I sent her flowers, or like the flowers are coming tomorrow. But the problem is, I bought the flowers, you know, I had to phone Vernon, British Columbia, where she is. And I bought the flowers, and, and then, uh, you know, good, I got it all set up. Good surprise, you know. And... Uh, but every time the visa is used, she gets a notice on her phone. <laughs> Darn it. So she knows. But then I had, a, I had a card sent to her, and I, I'm sorry, it was sent on the last minute. And, uh, and I had to get it there prior to Sunday. And so, like, they don't deliver on Saturday. So this is two days ago. It cost me $40 to send one card. That's a buck a year. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's absolutely, I, I told all the ladies at the National House of Parrot, they go, well, so what? You should be doing at least that, you know. And, <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah. they all got it, you know. And, uh, but yet, you know, when I think of our, our, our spiritual walk, we were, we've been then uh, Christians. Well, she was a Christian. She became a Christian in 1980. I became a Christian in 1981, a year after her. I became a Christian in, in the Sahara Desert in Libya. Uh, I was working on the oil rigs there, a little Gideon Bible. Fran, you know, she couldn't sit just, you know, being the, o- the only one as a Christian in her family. She was leaving Bible tracks. She'd try and get the pastor to come over and talk to me. And it wouldn't work. None of it would work. So she put my little Gideon Bible that I was given in grade five. You know, when they did that? And, and yeah, mine was gold, you know. And she stuck it in my bag. And that went to Libya with me on, up to the oil rig. And uh, I found it. And I thought, all right, I'm going to look at it and prove that she's in a cult. And I, I, became, I became saved in Libya. Behind a sand dune when no one was looking. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, both of us, both Fran and me, and uh, if she was here, she'd be absolutely, without any kind of knowledge uh, of uh, the things of the Bible, both of us, when we became Christians, had a sense that somehow this was involved with end times. End times. Isn't that kind of odd? Like we were, you know, nobody was telling us these things, but we both had a sense that this was involved with the coming of Jesus. And yet, when I think of it, all of us are involved with the coming of Jesus. Not just one or two. We're actually all involved with the coming of Christ, right? We all have a part in that. And, and, and this is part of the inheritance that's being passed on to us from one generation to prepare the way of the Lord. Right? There's a, there's a sense when we read that in Luke chapter 3 or Isaiah chapter 40, prepare the way of the Lord. There's a sense where um, in, a, in, in a Middle East picture, I don't know if you've ever driven in the Middle East, but as you heard, I have. 
And there's, there's sometimes, if you're driving, you, you have to be careful, especially if you're driving not on the tarmac. You have to clear the boulders. You have to clear the rocks off the road. And there was this picture in the New Testament of the king coming into this area or this village. And prior to him coming, prepare the way. Remove the obstacles. Remove the rocks. Remove these things. Get the ruts dug out of that, out of that road because he's coming, the king. Prepare the way of the Lord. And he will make the crooked places straight. He is coming and God is, is, is wanting us to know as I believe as Christians, what are you doing to prepare the way of the Lord? Because this is part of our inheritance. This is what God's called us to. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a couple Bible passages with you, all right? So I want you, okay, I don't know if you can do this on, up there. Do you probably do this in Acts? Where, um, Acts, i got to find it, Acts chapter 20. Could you go there? Acts chapter 20, where Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, okay? And it says in verse 25 of Acts chapter 20. You're going to have to take my word for it if you don't have a Bible. Do you know, I used to show up, because the first church we ever went to was in Athens, Greece. And, um, and I wanted to make sure that what that guy was saying was actually found in the Bible. I didn't want to believe it if it wasn't found here. So you're going to have to, do you, do you have it on your phone, you ladies there? <laughs> right. Okay, listen. Acts chapter 20 and verse 25. This is Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. All right? So Paul is, now why does he say I'm innocent of the blood of all of you? Why? Because if they had died and he had not shared the gospel with them, he, there would have been something on him that he didn't do. Do you get that? When there's no uh, question in my mind that Paul, a former Pharisee, was also very much thinking about Ezekiel 33. Where it says this in Ezekiel 33 of a watchman. All right. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Speak to your people and say to them. Listen to this. If I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make them their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, the blood shall be upon his own head. Okay? He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes... And takes away one of any of them. That person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whoever you hear, 
Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. You know, <clears throat> when you look at that, and sometimes we think, well, I'm so glad that's written only in the Old Testament. You know, like, there's a commandment from the Old Testament. But here, here we see Paul. I'm sure he's drawing to that. I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not shrink back from telling you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. You see, <clears throat> we, we have a charge in the Church of Canada. Christianity is not a... Christianity is not just something you receive. It's something you give. There's all kinds of references to that. Christianity is a go and tell faith. Okay? When Jesus said, come and follow me, was that it? What was the added bit to that? And I will make you fishers of men. That there is a go and tell. A go and tell part of what we are called to do that we're meant to go and tell we're meant to share the love of Jesus we're meant to share no Christian if I want you to hear me now is meant to just sit on the truth or put the truth under a bull a bull over that light and that is something that is absolutely going against God's plan for you and I and the inheritance of what you have to walk in as a Christian are you okay with that He's called us to speak up. And if you don't, then he is not happy about that. Well, I'm trying to say this as clearly as I can. We all know, I know, times where I've not spoken up. Times when God has said, go back and speak to them. I remember walking outside of the house of prayer. I had this amazing time with the Lord in prayer of how God was saying, I want you to speak. I want you to speak out. And I'm walking out. You know, and I was praying along, and I, came, I was coming back to, to the house of prayer. It was dark out, and, and this group of young people were coming towards me. And I, I, you know, whatever, I'm just going past them, you know. And, and one of them said to the other, do you know that book you're talking about? I think your name's in that book. And I, whatever, and I keep going, I go past it. And the Lord saying, Rob, what did I just say to you? And I stopped. And I spun around. I said, hey. They go, yeah. And they all turn around, like wondering if there's going to be a confrontation. And I said, you know that book you're just talking about that her name's written in? Yeah. Well, I know a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. That Jesus wants to write all our names in that book. If we give our lives to Jesus. And because we're the National House of Prayers, there's this big high rise there. And all these guys on a balcony start swearing at me and shouting about against Jesus. But then a couple balconies down, all these people started going, Oh, thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. And the whole kind of block became infiltrated with this knowledge of Jesus Christ. Go and tell. We're meant to go and tell. And, and you see, that means there's progress. We're meant to move on. Where are you? I ask this, self, I ask this to myself. Where am I? Where are you in progress? Have you ever said the prayer to the Holy Spirit, come and take inventory of my life? Is there progress or am I content 
where I am. Content can be dancing up here. Dancing up here because maybe you've done it many times. That can be I'm happy where I am. I don't know. It all depends on a person's heart, where you are. But let me say this to you. If you want things to remain the same, then make sure you do nothing differently. But if you want to see change in your life, in your home, in your city, in your province, in your nation, what are you willing to do differently? Really. And I feel like God's calling us to that. What are you willing to do differently? I, I sat on unforgiveness with a national leader for a few years. Unforgiveness. And I was hurt. But God was calling me to go and get things right. Two brothers would not let me go. And they sought me out. And they, they would not let go. I told them in so many words to get lost. But they wouldn't let me go. They kept on. And God opened the door and that national leader and myself were able to reconcile. And it was wonderful. It was powerful. Now, the... It, it wasn't because, oh, I, it was also the labor of these two others that would not let me go. I'm not the good guy in this. Those two guys, all right? They, they saw the importance of oneness in the body. They wouldn't let me go. Now, I want to tell you something. For those years that I wasn't reconciled, I went into a maintenance mode Christianity. Maintenance mode. I would... You know, I would do just enough. Now, this is as I'm the director of the National House of Prayer. Maintenance. Maintenance. When God brought me through where humble yourself and where God brought me to the reconciliation with my brother, it was awesome. And things started happening. Things were breaking forward. The maintenance mold fell off of me. I wonder... Are we as a church across our nation, I'm talking evangelical church, you name it, whatever brand you want to call it, how many of us are in a maintenance place? How many of us are in that place where we're thinking, you know what, I, this is far enough. I, you know, I go to church, that's good. I may even give my tithes, that's good. Awesome. Are, but you can't stay there because God is not looking for maintenance mentality. He's looking for those who are pressing in. It says he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All right? He's the rewarder. So he's looking for a diligence in us that is not content where we are. Come on. Do you, do you, do you get this? Then we have to ask the questions. Well, God, why aren't, aren't you? I mean, there's a part of, of Christianity where I should be content. Good. Peaceful. Good but also warring, also battling in your spirit, also asking God to show you any, anything that would be uh, contrary to the will of God. Now, I want to tell you something. I don't care what level you are as a Christian, whether you're a brand new Christian, 
and, and, and you're battling with your sins there, or whether you've been a Christian for a while and you may be battling with sin there. And some of those sins, you know the battle. And then, and then when we think of, well, I'm content now, I'm in a good place. But when we ask the Holy Spirit to show us the good place that we're really in, God comes and opens the door and he shows us where we're really at. And it's usually not a very good picture. Am I, I went to one of the, whole, Limerick, Ireland, a lady who was the holiest person I knew as a new Christian. She was so holy, so, so amazing, gentle spirit. And I, I, I said to her, I had to say that to her, you know, you're the most Christian person I know. And I, you know, it's great. You're a great example. And she said, please don't set me up like that. I said, why, 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 what's up? Because I was just praying and God was just showing me how these, all these different areas she listed, I've not allowed him to be Lord in my life. You see, there's always meant to be that God, we're not meant to be stagnant. We're not meant to stay in a place where we come, become in maintenance. And I know sometimes things like unforgiveness can be a roadblock in our life. They can set us back where we fall into this maintenance mode. But God is looking for us to go on. He's looking for us to move forward into all that he's called us to. And so, and so in this call that you and I have, God is wanting us to understand there's many who've gone before us in Canada. There's many who labored diligently and they may not have seen the reward that was coming, although they, they definitely entered into the reward of heaven. But there's many who have labored for our nation. And I'm talking revival now. I'm talking national, a national move of the Holy Spirit. A move of God. Many who have labored before us, and yet they did not see that. And when Fatine was just mentioning, where is our nation in Ottawa? And Others see it all the time. There are so many things that are being passed, so many laws also in Toronto that are affecting all of Canada. I'm going to, I want you to put up the, um, but I want you to go right to the beginning. And I want to, let's just quickly have a, 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 a look at our spiritual, spiritual heritage just for a bit. I won't be too long in this because I'll, I'll, I'll get through. Jack Cartier, go on. Next. To commemorate the founding of Montreal, Cartier wrote, we all kneel down in the company of the Indians with our hands raised toward heaven, yielding our thanks to God. This is in the birthing of our nation. Next, Samuel de Champlain, okay? The father of New France, he wrote, the Aborigines living without God and without religion, I thereupon concluded in my private judgment that I should be committing a great sin if I did not make it my business to devise some means of bringing them to the knowledge of God. You see, the momentum. Next, David Thompson. Again, he wrote all these maps. And, and to do so, he, he, so that these physically impenetrable barriers may be traversed with the gospel and spread across Canada. This is part of our inheritance. Keep going. This is uh, Leonard Tilly, Sir Leonard Tilly. Uh, uh, he was a new... Premier of uh, New Brunswick, one of the fathers of Confederation. He rose each morning to start his day with the prayer of scripture reading. As the 33 fathers gathered in Charlottetown to discuss the draft, the terms of the British North American Act, 
there, there were many suggestions on what they should call United Canada. That morning, morning, as Tilly read Psalm 72, verse 8, he became so convinced that Canada should be a nation under God that when he came down to the conference session, he presented the inspired dominion of Canada. Now, let me just pause there. We were up at, how many of you have been with us at the National House of Prayer? There's many here. Yeah, so we were up at the uh, uh, fountain, at the uh, Confederation fa uh, f uh, Fountain. What do they call it? It's, it's, it's uh, Centennial Flame, Centennial Flame. And so there we were. We often would gather there and pray from 6 in the morning until God released us. We were there praying right early that morning and pressing in. It was the... Uh, I think it was uh, April 24th, which is, is the Queen's birthday. And we were pressing in and praying, and, and uh, it's getting later on now, getting ready to go. But I'm looking at the Peace Tower, and I'm just praying. We have a picture of the Peace Tower bowing, and I'm, it's like I've seen the Peace Tower bowing, and I'm praying, and then the clock stopped. First time in its history that it ever stopped on its own. And it stopped at 728. 728, that's written on that peace tower. He shall have dominion from the river to the ends of the earth. and He shall have dominion from sea to sea. And there it is, 728. What's the chances of that? And God was showing us, it was like a big loudspeaker. Come on, press in. I will have dominion in this nation. I will have dominion in this nation. Let's go to the next one. William Howland ran for mayor in Toronto during his campaign. He urged voters, let us keep this city a God-fearing city, and I would rather see it thus than the greatest and richest city in the continent. Toronto became known as Toronto the Good. This was the effect of these godly individuals. Next, um, John Strachan, a leader who helped form our public education, he wrote, the church must continue to play a central role in education. Did you get that? You cannot divorce religion from education because schools will inevitably reflect the philosophical and religious or irreligious biases of those who direct them. Many of our Canadian universities were founded on denominational seminaries. Um, King's College in Nova Scotia, known as Dalhousie, was founded by the Anglicans. University of Ottawa, founded by the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and the McMaster's University was founded by the Baptists. Hallelujah. I, I used to be Baptist. <laughs> now look at this. This is John D. Diefenbaker. I, I am a Canadian, free to speak without fear, free to worship in my own way, free to stand for what I think right, free to oppose what I believe wrong, or free to choose those who shall govern my country, this heritage of freedom I pledge to uphold for myself and all mankind. One of the very things that we are facing in Canada, when we talk about our moral turn, where things are getting um, from worse to worse almost, is our freedom of religion in Canada. There's a big uh, seminar coming up. Uh, um, David Anderson is putting on in October in Ottawa. But religious freedom is being threatened in our nation. And the freedom of people in general. I want to just show you a couple examples. Let's go next. Uh, okay. 
Prime Minister John Diefenberger introduced the Canadian Bill of Rights. It begins with the Parliament of Canada affirming that the Canadian nation is founded upon the principles that acknowledge the supremacy of God. That is in our, written in our uh, Canadian Bill of Rights. Okay, next one. Okay, uh, Pierre Trudeau, this is signing over the charter. Uh, show us the next slide. The Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The charter begins with, whereas Canada is founded upon the principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of the law. And I know that there's history behind that of a Christian who labored and labored that that, that preamble to our uh, Canadian um, Charter of Rights and Freedoms had that preamble, the supremacy of God, those who've gone before us. Keep going. Okay, that's the National House of Prayer, and let's go on. Down is up, up is down. Keep going. We we're up at, the, up at the hill praying for euthanasia that it would not happen in our nation, praying that God would, would, would just intervene. And um, at the same time, they were also saying on that very day that they're going to, in the nation's history, Lisa Laflamme on CTV said they're raising the rainbow flag over the parliament. And it's the first time in the history of our nation that we've ever flown any other flag other than our, our national flag and the flag of the, of the um, uh, governor general when they're in. And so we were up there and we're looking around like our world is changing. And, and we were interceding for against euthanasia, which we didn't win that one. It's law now in Canada. But we were pressing in in prayer also. And then um, I, the member of parliament next to me I said, well, I said to him, well, what about the raising of the flag? And he said, over my dead body. I said, what? And he said, that has not been passed through the right channels. And off he marched. And, and that was opposed. The raising of that rainbow flag over the peace tower was stopped. But it was also stopped, it was stopped through intercession but also there was, a, there was that within these Christian MPs that said enough is enough, and they intervened. They did something. They did something. Now you should say amen to that. Okay, next. Here's Bill 24 in Alberta. It's uh, NDP are seeking to control schools and isolate children. Where, where I mean, it is really going crazy. Where where it's law now, it's law, it's being passed, a parent cannot counsel their child that, oh, you may not be this gender that you're thinking you are. It's law. Well, I say break the law. I get in trouble with that one, but there you go. Bill 24 has been defeated in the courts, and, and, and they were, this recent Supreme Court, they were citing that ruling on Trinity Western. Next one. Um, Jordan Peterson, God's using this guy. He's speaking to, to, to the people. Um, here, he's coming against the implicit association test that's being used in government to test people prior to their position, and that implicit association test can test their bias, whether they're maybe pro-gay, pro-abortion, that kind of thing is what they're looking for. It's... See, those are all doors that are coming against religious freedom. Do you get that? Next one. There it is, um, the implicit association test. You can check that out. Next one. 
I mentioned Trinity Western and the ruling the Supreme Court against them as a Christian university having a covenant that they would have uh, in regards to their, um, their purity, their, their, their sexual purity. And, and uh, they're not allowed to do that. That's being overruled. And so instead of a university being able to say, look, if you're not happy with our covenant, there's another university down the road. They have, that's being uh, stopped on, on them. And so they had to, they've removed their covenant. Next one. There's a Supreme Court. I pray there a lot. Next one. Student funding for summer employment last summer. That was again coming against the Charter Rights and Freedoms. Next. Without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure by Ronald Reagan. Next one. Next one. Soji. Marcelo Pera. Leading European scientist, intellectual, and atheist. Atheist. And they had this meeting of the world's most renowned atheists that all came together two summers ago in Europe. And they were coming in and they were meeting for a week and they were trying to, de- to think in terms of what to do with the huge Muslim immigrations that coming into all of Europe, how they could counsel some of the world leaders. That's what they were thinking. And so in that, in that meeting of one week, they, they sent out a press release at the end of it. And here's what it said. Next slide calling for Christian renewal in Europe. These are atheists calling for Christian renewal in Europe. Why? Because what they said is, we've come to the conclusion that because of Christianity, we have certain rights and freedoms that we normally take for granted. The right to freely believe or not to believe as we do is only guaranteed when Christianity is the assumed belief of that culture. Do we see how important Christianity is? And I, I've read books. I, I stock all day, put books in my hands. And, and read this, read this on democracy. I've read these books. And it's absolutely essential that you understand that, that the idea of democracy is something, they didn't call it that, but it's coming out of biblical principles of Judeo-Christianity. When you remove Christianity, you can no longer, for, for long, have a a free and democratic society. So when we're called to bring salt and light, when we're called to bring and talk about the, the, uh, the, the, the kingdom of God in its fullness, we're talking about that which benefits all society. And I want to agree with, with uh, Faitine. We are entering into a critical place. Coming from Ottawa, I know that the talk right now in, in certain circles is about a snap election, possibly happening quickly. They're talking about this, that this weekend. We're praying, God, you know the right timing, and so we're praying, God, you just hold everything back until you say, okay. And, and, but we need to understand that these things are at stake, and we need God to raise up awareness. We need people to vote. As a matter of fact, voting is biblical. We, we need people to run for office. We, we need staff people who know the Lord. We need God give us opportunity to say on our watch that we are going to recognize that we have an inheritance that God's given us and we're going to battle for it. Okay? Now I'm going to go to, uh, in a minute, I'm going to go to a slide and show you something. But I just, that inheritance, when God called me, when God called me to do a prayer walk, from Calgary to Ottawa. This sounds weird. We did it in 2000. God called me. I, it wasn't my idea. 
Like it was, you're doing this walk. I had taken two years to prayer walk all, every avenue and street of our, of our community. We watched people come to the Lord because we prayed at their house. We had, we had three and four people sitting there waiting for us to pray for them at Starbucks restaurant because they were non-Christians and they knew this pastor, he's willing to pray for you. And it wasn't us trying to talk them into Jesus. But God began to answer their prayers and demonstrate he's alive. I'm talking about our inheritance. We have that within us, Jesus, that is not meant to be maintained in a maintenance mode. But God in us is meant to be that I put this deposit in you. Now you freely give as you have freely received. All right. You know, you start to use what I've put in you. Don't hide it. It's a talent of the Lord. So we did this prayer walk. And on, as I was training for the prayer walk, God said to me, now, Rob, I need you to deal with the, with the innocent bloodshed of your family before you do this national walk. I can't go into the, all the detail, but... Our, our, my grandfather, way back in 1919, was hung for murder. And uh, it was all, we thought it was over the fight over a horse. I ended up doing the research and found it was worse than that. It was an 18-year-old girl, Sadie Mulvihill, that was murdered. And um, my grandfather was in prison for that and, and uh, hung for murder. But when you read the trial, when you read everything about it, they burnt the family home down. And this is in Saskatchewan. The Salvation Army had to come in and look after my grandmother and my mom and siblings. All that was happening. My grandfather became a Christian in prison. Okay? Through the Salvation Army officer and through the prison chaplain. He was always maintaining his innocence. When you read the court, the... The, the lawyer was convinced, look, at, there's not enough to, to put, say he's guilty. They, they, they even appealed to the Supreme Court and the Prime Minister of the day for a stay, and they would not allow it. When they hung my grandfather in 1919, August 6th, he, his last words on this earth is, you're, today you're hanging an innocent man. But I commit my wife and my family and, their, and their, my children and the, my children's children into the hands of the Almighty God. Two years after they hung my grandfather, the guy that committed the crime came forward. And my grandfather had nothing. He was, he, he was said to be in the wrong place, you know, even though there was, con, there was other contrary evidence to that. The guy that, I went, to, I went to Prince Albert where this all happened, and I, I was talking to the museum curator. I said, hey, I'm, I'm, this is who my grandfather was. And I was amazed. He said, that's an example of injustice in Saskatchewan. My, I, I talked to my brothers about, let's, because my, they buried my grandfather in a graveyard with no headstone. They put him in a... They, it's not in the prison. They got him buried outside of the prison walls because they were convinced he was innocent. And they got him buried in the, in the public graveyard, but no marker. And so I felt I need to put a marker there. 
Do you have that slide? So that's this summer. Alfred Roberts, that's his last name. Loved and not forgotten, it says, in the arms of Jesus. There's a marker there now. And I believe that there's something of uh, us honoring those who've gone before us. That there's a spiritual heritage, an inheritance that is yours. Many of us have been robbed of that. Many of us, through one thing or another, are robbed of what God intended to bring us into an inheritance that would bless us. When I think of God moving in our land, God wants to put everything right. When I think of coming up to North Battleford, pressing into God, there are so many of us that need, as Canadians, that we need to take hold of all that God has put in our lives and, and, and shed off and throw off a maintenance mentality. And we need to go for what God is going to do in our nation. We need to awaken ourselves. We need to be stirred up in our spirit. There's, there's a wealth of what God... Listen, Christian, when I went to my, my grandfather's grave, I was kind of like, what do I say? I had all kinds of stuff to say, but nothing was coming up. And then I was, oh God, what do I say? And my son's with me, and, and uh, you know, he had prayed a prayer, and I'm going, okay. And it says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And I know that the inheritance that was left for me was an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. An inheritance that's an eternal inheritance. I know that Christianity entered our family through that terrible event. My, my grandmother became a Christian. My grandfather, I'm going to see him in glory. Christianity entered our family line through that. So it doesn't matter whatever we go through. God is able to you turn around that which was intended to harm and use it for tremendous good. Amen. And so and so I'm all about now I'm like prepare the way of the Lord. What am I doing differently? Okay. What are you doing differently? Have you ever considered buying a ticket to, to something as crazy as North Battleford? Have you ever considered something different where, okay, I don't care. I'm going to go and stand with these guys. I'm going to labor. I, you see, sometimes you might think, well, oh, well, what if God, listen, God honors you stepping forward and saying, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to do what I can on my watch. I'm going to give what I can. I'm going, to, I'm going to run to the race or to the battle. God honors that. And let me tell you this. Let me end because of inheritance. As a grandfather, all right? I'm a grandfather. I, I, I know that's hard to imagine, but you know. I, uh, I was asking the Lord to let me leave the National House of Prayer. Um, that I established it. It's good. We've got now John and Patricia Bootsma of Catch the Fire joining us. It's lots of going, lots is going on. But I was asking the Lord, okay, let me go now. I want to go back to Western Canada to be a grandfather. I don't want to be an absentee grandfather. I want to go to Western Canada. God, just give me a, a little small church with a white picket fence. And, you know, and God was not agreeing. I, I'm, out I'm out walking and I'm praying. This is, this is after a couple months of battling with the Lord. And this is real. I, God, shift me. I want to go there. But I won't go without God's amen. And I look above me and there's a half a rainbow. And it stops. 
but it's fully formed and then it stops halfway. I'm going like, are you saying that if I leave, I only have half the promises? And I said to God, okay, by the time I get to the bridge, when I'm walking over there, I know it's going to take me about seven minutes. I, I know walking and timing. I know it'll take me seven minutes. When I get into the middle of the bridge and I turn around, if the National House of Prayer is in the center of a fully formed rainbow, all right, you're telling me I'm, I'm going to stay. But if it isn't, then I can go. So I start walking. I'm dragging my feet a little bit. And I'm praying and praying. And I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And, and, and my dog's looking at me like, you're nuts. What are you doing? And I get in the middle. And, and okay, I, I spin around. And there it is, a fully formed rainbow, National House of Prayer in the center, and a second rainbow over it in case I missed the first one. <laughs> and so God began to wash over me out of this maintenance. He washed me out of the maintenance and began to put a new zeal in me, a new a recall. Does that make sense? A recall. And, and then... And then I'm out, uh, he said, uh, don't worry, I'll look after your children and your children's children. This is my grandfather. So I went out to, I was out in Calgary ministering. And Brandy, my daughter-in-law, called. She's really upset because Elspeth has been diagnosed with severe scoliosis, 37 degree curvature of her spine. And I'm going, God. And, and she's really upset because it's really bad. They won't be able to correct it. You can see it on her when she rolls and... So I held her in the kitchen when all everybody else was upstairs, the grandfather. And I'm praying over my granddaughter. And the, you know, sometimes when you pray, the word of God comes to you. And the word of God came to me. He makes the crooked places straight. And I began to pray that and tell the family to pray it. We all prayed it. God would get me up in the night. Rob, get up. You forgot to pray for Elspeth. I don't even understand prayer. Why does God, if God's going to do something, he can do it. But he chooses to use us. He chooses to use us. And so then I'm up on a mountain with, with a member of parliament and a Christian leader out in British Columbia. I took them to a secret spot I have out there. And as we were praying, the presence of God was on us. The member of parliament couldn't talk even though his Bible was open. That's a miracle from God. And I took his Bible and I read, I read the passage, Isaiah 40, Cyrus my anointed, how, how Cyrus will take that which has been locked up and hidden away and he will open it up. Lo There's so much that's been locked up in the church today that God is wanting to reopen. The power of God. And, and then it said about, about this passage about Cyrus and God will make the crooked places straight. And I said to God, no, 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 no. That's for Elspeth. We're praying for Canada right now. God said, I want you to pray this over our nation. Because I'm a God who can make everything that's crooked in Canada straight. And I said, but God, this is the passage that I'm consumed in prayer for Elspeth. And my, and my God said, I want you to pray with the same compassion as a grandfather for your granddaughter, I want you to pray with that same level of compassion for this nation. It was a few weeks after that that they had Elspeth there. And my son, because of what I told him, said, could you please re-x-ray Elspeth, now six months old. And it's a bit traumatic to do that because they got to strap them down. 
But my son said when they put Elspeth on the table, she rolled around and put her face down and her hands at her side. And the x-ray is going like, what? They x-rayed her and her spine is absolutely straight. Straight. It's straight. It's straight. Her spine is straight. You got that picture of her? <laughs> Every time I look at her now, I see her straight spine. But that makes me, God, in the same way that you made her spine straight, you can heal Canada. You can make that which is crooked straight in our nation. This is why we need God to move. He, I, I am believing for revival not just because I have an emotion to see it happen. I have a word from God that he will make the crooked places straight. I have an encounter from God. This isn't imagination. I'm not lying to you. I'm not trying to get anything stirred up. This is God, what he has said. And this isn't just about this one individual. Are you willing to allow God to take you deeper? Are you willing to allow God to say, Take off the maintenance off of me. Are you willing to do something differently? Are you willing to pray with a level of deep compassion for the lost? Are you willing to pray for deep compassion for the church right now? Where God is wanting to move and he wants to see that church is really engaged and not just giving lip service. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Let it never be said over you. And that's how God's been convicting me. God, stir me up. Because I need a compassion that's actually not even birthed from myself. But I need to join my level of compassion with the unction of the Holy Spirit. That God will stir a deep compassion that will shift things in our nation. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, let's give God, come on. That w Amen. Thank you, Lord. Rob, I just want you to make an appeal for us tonight. Um, I think that there's a, a breakthrough seed. I think that there's an offering that we're going to give tonight. Um, it's going to knock some things loose. The most expensive season is harvest season. I've been able to sow significantly. God, I've asked God for not just seed to sow in the season, but seed to bring in the harvest. And we, we need a harvest in Canada. You need a harvest. We, but uh, I just, uh, it was it, Art said that he sold his, his, he's selling a number of assets. Yeah, he sold his red quad and he's willing uh, Art Lucier, who is spearheading this out in North Battleford in, in Harvest Ministries, he sold a red quad, his personal thing that I know I've been out in the Rockies with him in it, and something he loves. He sold it, and he's willing to give up to 5000 match up to $5,000 of what we can raise here tonight to go towards uh, some of the expenses that we're going to be incurring. But um, 
Rob, I just feel that there's an anointing right now for, um, and for you to just uh, pray into that, or, or I, I don't know if you want to share more about that. Why don't we start? Let me just sip some. God, you see our hearts. You know us through and through. And Father, I pray, Lord, for myself, I pray all of us here that we would not be lukewarm in our Christianity, that we would not be in that place, God, where we're not willing to step out and risk. God, that we would risk all for you. You see our hearts right now. And God, I pray, oh Lord, in that same way as we are calling for compassion for the lost, compassion for the church, compassion for a move of God. Lord, I pray, let that compassion see, be seen evident even here in us bringing this offering, God. Lord, that this uh, battle, this battle in North Battleford, God, the call for you to move in our land would not be hindered right at the get-go. But we pray Ontario will be well represented. I pray now, even from this place here in Belleville, that there would come such a a momentum from Ontario, that Ontario, God, would shift things. And Lord, I know it won't be only here, but Lord, let there be that from this place that that will shift things in the heavenlies, Lord, that there will be provision. Everything necessary will be there. God, let it not be said that it didn't happen because we held on. We were unwilling to step forward in faith and let that faith, Father, be made evident in our giving tonight. Lord, that your name will be exalted. Your name will be glorified. Father, I just pray your blessing. Our nation, as we heard from Fatin, is in a place of crisis. God, we need your intervention. It's not just another election or not just another government, but Lord, we need you to move. And so, Son of God, please arise over Canada. Arise over our land. God, let us be in that place where, Lord, that we are cheering on all that you seek to do through your church, your people, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Dean Briggs is going to come, so um, please don't miss this. He's going to share. But we have a a sewing machine out here that you can, it's a debit machine. You can use your debit card or you can use credit card. Um, But... Uh, if you're writing out a check, make it out the Desert Stream, but put on on the on the envelope um, North or North Battleford or Run to the Battle, or yeah, Run to the Battle. Um, but anyway, we bring our offering up here. So any time during the evening, we just didn't want you to miss an opportunity to sow into our nation and sow into your harvest season. So um, anyway, bless. You. Yeah, we have envelopes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can, I'll go get some. Oh, we have some envelopes right here if you want. Can you just raise your hand if you need an envelope? Rob. Okay, Dean. Yeah, we'll just take a couple minutes here. As everyone's doing this, we'll just take a couple minutes. Is the worship team still here? Uh, not right now. I'm going to put you guys on the spot, though. Before we're done, even if it's a cappella, uh, can we sing the national anthem?
and, uh, and I think we'll just have some, some uh, a time of prayer at the end. So, I uh, just stirred again listening. Uh, I've, I've heard Rob share some of those uh, those things uh, a couple times, but he added more tonight with the slides, and I'm really stirred. Uh, I feel like there's actually a spirit of prayer here, uh, and and I really want to encourage you as much as possible. Stick with me. Uh, is there anything compelling for Bellevillians to do on a Friday night? <laughs> you know that. That would uh, tempt you, you know, cause you to think, man, I, I need to get out of here at 10 o'clock and go do X, Y, Z. No, no, I, I want you to stay, all right? Have you ever been called Bellevillians before? <laughs> no, 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 I, I, I really believe, I, I've actually felt it all night, that, that the greatest thing we can do is not just share and stir up the, uh, our spirit together, but we really want to pray. Uh, I, I was I, I was actually about to share right along the. Oh, thank you. That's mine. <laughs> you were about to take my. There, there is. Um... Have you all ever planted a garden? How easy is it for weeds to grow? I, you, you just don't even have to try and the weeds grow. No, no. I never planted a weed. Never planted a weed, but the weeds are there. I plant the thing that's supposed to be there, and if I'm not loving on it every day, if I'm not giving it the right amount of water, making sure the sun breaks through the clouds, if I'm not talking, uh, talking to the plants, you know, Come on, baby, grow. You know, I, I, there, there's some things that I, I care about more than others. What I want in the summer is garden tomatoes, man. Just give me garden tomatoes. And instead what I get is garden weeds. And it takes time and effort to cultivate the worthy things. And it takes zero effort for what is unworthy to thrive. And this is a historic fact. Yesterday's revival will diminish on its own. And yesterday's rebellion will increase on its own. You can try to nurse and tend to a revival. A spirit of revival is present. Things are breaking out. 1948, 2004 in Toronto. And it takes, when the Spirit is moving and it's real, on the one hand, it feels like it's overtaken you, and yet a generation later, you can look and say, where is the fruit of that? And yet, rebellion in a generation past, or in several generations past, you can look and say, we are reaping the harvest of that in full. The weeds have no problem growing. 
And I'm just struck by something Fatine said. As I've, as, as I've been working with the steering committee, I don't really have time. There's, there's, uh, there's 15 directions going in my head, and I'm just trying to boil it down to two or three thoughts so that we can pray. And I'm encouraging you to stay. This is part of the, the sacrifice we make is the clock doesn't govern the spirit, right? The clock doesn't govern when God is doing something and when there's a crisis in the land and Joel 2 says, blow the trumpet, gather the elders, call a solemn assembly. It's time to break the routine. And when it's time to break the routine, part of that is the tyranny of our clock. We have to disrupt our schedule and come together because there's a crisis in the land. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. We've had our own crises in America, but we've also seen some breakthrough. And I don't know what you think about Trump, but I like his kind of mess. He's a mess. He's a mess, and he keeps... I'm not sure if, if, uh, you know... I'm not sure all the flavors of mess he is. But I believe that he has thrown a wrench in the deep state. And he's thrown a wrench in the agenda of globalism. And he is messing with powers that would have dragged America to a future that I would not recognize and my children would inherit. Part of the reason I believe there's a spirit of prayer in this room. How many of you all are grandparents? That's why there's a spirit of prayer in this room. Because you know you are sufficiently... When I was a young man, I thought revival was all about me. You know? Because I wanted to be in the middle of it. I'm going to turn 50. And I'm still a young one in the room, right? But I'm about to have my first grandbaby, my oldest son. They, they just got pregnant. Hallelujah. I'm telling, I've got eight kids. I'm telling all of them I want five grandchildren from each of you. I'm serious. I tell them, I've been indoctrinating them in this for years. I want five from each of you. This is my global takeover plan. While I am still alive, if they pass that on to their children, I'll be the great-grandfather of 200. That's just how the math works. You wonder why Islam is winning? It's because they're following God's prescription more than the church is to be fruitful and multiply. They're willing to grow their garden. So, where was I going with that? I was going some. Oh! Everyone in this here in this room realizes if you're a grandparent, you realize revival can come and go and your walk with the Lord is okay. But your grandchildren are on the line. The next revival isn't even necessarily about your children. They need it too, but your grandchildren hang in the balance. And Canada's future could slip into generations of darkness and they won't know the difference without a move of God. 
They will have no historical perspective to say life was ever any different than that. And that slide from that place into darkness, how deep is that darkness? They don't know the Canada that you know of 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Fatine said the Canada of five years ago is not the Canada of today. The average 10, 15-year-old kid, 20 years down the line, they had no baseline. For what a righteous generation looks like, what a righteous government looks like, what righteous policies look like, when their baseline is legalized marijuana, there's 56 genders and counting. On Facebook now, if you want to create a new account, you can register up to 56 labels, and the 56th is other. Just, just tell us what it is. We don't know. You can have a nation that doesn't even have borders because the borders are so porous out of a false sense of compassion that you are welcoming the enemy to dominate your nation. I'm a happy guy. I really am. <laughs> I'm a happy guy. and You know, God bless America. I saw Ronald Reagan up there. God bless Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I think, I think I'm going to, Pastor, with permission, I think on uh, Sunday when I share, I want to share, I'm, I'm just gripped by Psalm 72. I want to look at that more. The dominion of the Lord from sea to sea. But uh, turn with me to 1 Samuel 15. And I want to look at a time where the weeds grew over generations and generations. Generations and generations and it almost led to the extermination of the nation. So if you go all the way back to Exodus 17, you, I want you all to turn to 1 Samuel 15. If you go all the way back to Exodus 17, you see that, that, that famous story with uh, Joshua down in the valley fighting against the Amalekites. And Moses and Aaron and Hur are up on the cliff, right? And that's when Moses raises his hand and Aaron and Hur hold his hands up because as long as his hands are outstretched, they're winning down below. Now there's a great sermon there on the power of prayer. When you get into the high place where Moses was, and Jesus talked about it later, where two or three are gathered together and you're extending the rod, that's the passage where it says uh, uh, we, we, we get the name of the Lord, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. As that rod of rulership is extended, everything down below changes. So where was the battle won? Down below or up above? There's one up above, it manifested down below. It's a picture of prayer, the authority we have in prayer. But at that time, fighting the Amalekites, God made an, an interesting statement. He said, I will have war with the Amalekites forever. God makes a statement like that, you take notice. He didn't like the Amalekites. Now, through a series of events, the Amalekites were not completely destroyed. Now we come around many generations later. Many generations later, we've gone uh, uh, through all of the judges. We've gone through Moses and Joshua and all of the judges. And we're finally to Samuel. And Saul is the first king. 
And here in chapter 15, Samuel says to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people of Israel. Now therefore listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now I'm not here to entertain anybody's political correctness about... You know, some, uh, some things that God said that trouble us with our modern sensitivities. He's God, we aren't. He said, completely eliminate them. That's troubling to us, I get it. I'm not really focused on that. But he was absolutely clear. Do you see any ifs, ands, or buts in there? It was a total commitment to the destruction of the Amalekites. He already said... I'm at war with that tribe. He's already declared his purpose. It didn't happen, and now it's Saul's chance to do the job. So Saul summoned the people. He numbered them. And I want you to see the partial weeding of the garden here. He goes, verse 7, he defeats the Amalekites, and he takes Agag. Everyone say Agag. He takes Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and he devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. Oh, if only that was the end of the story. But verse 9 starts with, but. But Saul and the people spared Agag. Everybody say Agag. And the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Now I'm not going to continue reading the whole story, but if you remember this, Samuel comes along, God says, I'm grieved. I'm really sorry I made Saul king. And Samuel comes along, he says, hey, uh, Saul, how'd that go? You remember what I told you, right? Clean house. Don't leave anything alive. Saul's like, oh yeah, yeah, we did that. We did that. Clean house. Saul, uh, Samuel, he kind of has a little sarcasm in his voice. You have to hear it if you keep reading. He says, oh really? Because I'm hearing some sheep over here. I'm hearing the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of oxen. And that's kind of funny because they were supposed to be wiped out too. It's all supposed to be wiped out. Saul's like, oh, well, yeah. Samuel, you know, buddy, wink, wink. I knew what you meant, you know, when you said wipe them all out. You meant let's keep the good stuff because I actually made a sacrifice out of that. I kept the good stuff so that I could give the best stuff to God. And And I eliminated all the other stuff because that's, Really the right thing, right? And and he slipped into all the right religious language. Had all the right religious language. Man, we made a huge sacrifice to God out of that stuff. We conquered them. They're subjected to us. They're, you know, we did all the right stuff. And now God gets his sacrifice. And this is the passage where Samuel utters the famous lines, To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. The God who stands outside of time has reasons for the directives and the objectives of his will and his purpose in the earth. 
He knows why he says what he says because he sees the end from the beginning. And so he said we need to take care of this weed now. And it's not up to you to understand why it's so severe. It's not up to you to understand why the directive would be so specific or so calculated or even so seemingly cruel because you're in your point of reference. You're in your time frame. I'm outside of time. I see it all. Now remember I said just referencing gardens and weeds, you don't have to plant the weed for the weed to take over, but you have to really take care of the thing you do plant. And revivals can fade on their own over time, but rebellion will multiply. Are you all with me? So this was, the draw, this was the dividing line. This was the point at which the kingdom was taken from Saul. And even then, Saul is still more concerned about what people think. And he's like, Okay, if it has to be this way, it has to be that way. But talk good about me in front of everybody so that they still like me and admire me. The kingdom is lost. There's a big red failure on this episode. And we can still get, get trapped in all the wrong thinking. We can still major on the minors. We can miss the moment. We can miss the severity of something. And comfort ourselves in all the little victories when the big, the big war is lost right here. Now skip ahead to Esther chapter 3. This is now generations later. Hundreds of years pass. Remember I said rebellion will multiply on its own. Revival will fade. Generations pass, hundreds of years. The kingdom of Israel went from Saul to David to Solomon. It divided. Judah and Benjamin have their own line of kings, multiple kings. The northern ten tribes have multiple lines of kings. Then the Babylonian invasion, the Assyrian invasion, and the people of, uh, of Israel are taken out of the land, and they're in captivity. We're that far into the future. Hundreds of years down the line. And after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the who? Agagite. Agagite. Haman, the Amalekite descendant of the King Agag that Saul left alive. And King Ahasuerus takes this Amalekite and advances him and sets him on a throne above all the officials who were with him. And within just a matter of moments, Haman the Amalekite has not forgotten his ancestral hatred of Israel. And now he is in a position of power, and I'm not going to go into the whole story, but it talks about him casting lots to determine the day. He's actually entering into occultic dimensions of darkness, partnering with demons to try to figure out an appointed strategy by which he can eliminate Israel, the people of God, the Jews from the earth. And this actually becomes the most dangerous and deadly episode in Israel's history 
the nation stands on the brink and a young woman is raised up in the midst. A young woman, the, the word God is never said in Esther. Some theologians had a problem with that. It's like, how can we have this book in the Bible and it doesn't actually ever say God and yet the dancing hand of sovereignty is more mysteriously apparent in the events of Esther than almost any other book in Scripture. There's a conspiracy to eliminate the entire natural bloodline of Abraham. And there's one little woman who just happens to be in the right place at the right time. And there's an ancient sin... An ancient disobedience. See, Samuel was being quite prophetic. It really would have been better if you had obeyed me. If you had just cleaned house and taken care of business precisely and faithfully down to the last detail. And not argued over the stuff you can't understand anyway. Because we're talking about hundreds of years in the future. If I try to explain it to you, Saul, you won't understand anyway. Your kingdom is going to be lost. Your sons are going to die. And somebody else is going to rule your people. And that far into the future, all your people will be threatened if you don't take care of that king Agag right now. And so Agag is now filled with ancestral hatred. And now he's got power. And the Jews are in captivity. And he's trafficking in demons to determine... By evil inspiration, the best date on the calendar. When the maximum amount of power in, in, in spiritual dimensions will be present to eliminate the Jews. And it's such a crisis that God pulls out his big guns. And all the people begin to fast and pray. A decree goes out that the Jews are going to be eliminated all the people begin to fast and pray. And Esther and her handmaidens set themselves to fast and pray for three days. I'm telling you, there are some grandmothers, there are some grandmotherly Esther and handmaidens in this room right now. I just feel it in my spirit. Esther fasts and prays. Everything's on the line. I want to look at this. Look at, look at chapter 5. Look at chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, listen to some of these phrases. It was a, the third day. It's a resurrection day. It's the, it's the last day of a, a, a total fast. Esther has been in the garments of fasting and mourning. She's been in the garments of crisis and danger for her people. She's got to put everything on the line. But when the fast is over, there's actually a different mindset that has to happen. And Esther has to put on some royal robes. The whole story is laced with importance for intercession in Canada right now. 
There are 31 days in October that we are calling the nation put on the robes of fasting. This is a solemn moment in the nation's history to contend for your children and your grandchildren. We cannot afford, you cannot afford to be Saul in this moment with partial investment, partial obedience. The comfort of what could appear to be all the right religious language and certain degrees of sacrifice, but not the full measure of obedience. Because there are generations down the line where you do not know and cannot anticipate the risk and the darkness that your children will face and your grandchildren. And you will be gone and they will be laboring under the enemy's lash. I'm not a fear monger and I really am a happy guy. I promise. I'm not afraid of the future. I have great hope for the future because I know how to win it. If we follow the prescription, we win. If we listen to the Lord's voice and we do what He says and we do not hold back in the day of trouble and we do not lightly tread on sacred ground when He gives instruction and wisdom and it's proven by history. This is a time to weed the garden completely and wait for the breakthrough rather than do half-hearted measures and watch the destruction. This is a time to have great hope. It's a time to press in in fasting and prayer. And out of that, out of that preparation... There are moments where then you set aside. See, we're going to fast and pray. I'm entering into this in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm going to, in the grace of God, God help me. In the grace of God, I'm going to do a 31-day water fast for you. For your children, for your grandchildren, and for mine. We, needed, we need a breakthrough in America. But this assignment has rested on me since I went into uh, uh, North Battleford in January for 21 days on a water fast to fast and pray and the mission and destiny of Canada gripped me and if we don't get the nation entering into this but see if we do if we do out of that fasting there's a preparation to then put on the royal robes and to enter into the court of the king and he extends his scepter. And we touch the scepter. And the king says, what do you want? I'll give it. See, it's the divine prescription. It would have been so much better if Saul had dealt with it hundreds of years before. Do not let future generations say, why didn't you deal with this when you had the king's favor? 
Why didn't you put on your fasting robes so that you could put on your royal robes so that you could enter into the court and the scepter would extend to you and you could rule with Christ in heavenly places and command the destiny of Canada to come forth and demonic ideologies to be broken and the strategies of the enemy to corrupt and contaminate and defile the land would at last be shattered and your children could move forward in brilliance and light and hope and holiness. Why would we wait for future generations to look back and say, what were you thinking? This is a moment of supreme opportunity, supreme danger, supreme hope. Whenever it gets this serious and the enemy is front-loading everything, right? He's stacking everything he can. We're going to let the kids... Use recreational marijuana at age 13, right? We're going to erase the gender lines. We're going to expose our borders. We're going to continue to leave the womb exposed to death rather than protected in life. We're going to assault the boundaries of marriage. Everything, financial challenges, everything, massive debt on every front. He's stacking it up and he's stacking it up and he's loading the weights and he's creating a giant. And that's awesome. Because it's got so much top heavy weight, it can't see the brilliance of a God who starts to work deep in the earth, planting his own righteous seeds. And God's tilling that ground and taking care of it. And he's whispering to his own garden in the hearts of men and women and grandmas and grandpas. And he's calling forth his own fruit and the enemy can't see it because he's too blinded with the pride of his present power. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, someone shows up in the courtroom and they've got the favor of the king all over them. And he releases a decree. And if you read the story, part of the dancing hand of sovereignty that you have to see, how did Esther come up with the idea to have the, the banquet for the king and for Haman? And then another banquet. How did she get this out of all of the risk, out of all, everything that hung on the line? And when it comes down to it, inexplicably, she says, I think I want to cook you dinner. But what happens over the course of two or three nights is the king is laying on his bed and he's troubled by dreams. And he commands the books to be opened. And the books are opened and he's, the, certain things are brought to his attention from the past that he didn't even know about. About this other guy named Mordecai that had never received the attention and the favor he was due and there's this divine strategy that starts to unfold because something has broken through in heavenly places. See, that's what fasting does. Fasting and prayer, it cuts through the clutter. It adds nuclear power where we've been trying to win the war with squirt guns, right? We're going to war with squirt guns. We're throwing our little prayers out there. And God says, give me a people that will fast and pray and I will extend the scepter to them. And everything will change. So the king wakes up and Esther's still moving in this, you know, fragile sort of sovereignty. But now it's filled with faith and it's bathed in favor. And before long, Agag, 
is getting, I don't know how many hundreds of years. But the penalty and the assignment that was due Agag is finally being visited in full measure. He hangs on the gallows that he was going to build for Mordecai. Haman meets his due, his dependence on demonic strategies and occultic power and the top heaviness of his pride and his authority and his position. He was a boasting man. He was a proud man. He wanted the attention of the people. And in the end, he hung on his own noose. Now hold on here. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. We are not talking about any humans in this equation. We are not talking about uh, uh, governments in this way. We are talking about principalities and powers and the ideologies with which humans align themselves. And if we can deliver and break the power of those principalities and powers, people's minds that have been locked up suddenly become opened, and they lay down at night, and they have a dream, and they wake up with revelation, and things shift, and in the government, breakthrough that Rob has been contending for, and you guys have been contending for, all of a sudden in the right moment, in the right season, and a nation changes in a day. Canada begins to move into its inheritance and its purpose. And of course it's going to be greatly resisted. For you to have covenantal promises over your land of that degree and that specificity, of course it's going to be resisted. Of course Haman is going to come in. Of course we will fail because we're human to tend to the revival and the spirit of God properly and the weeds will grow. But we learn from the past and we come into the present and we say, no longer on my watch. I'm not going to hand my children and my grandchildren the weeds that I can deal with right now. There's more I want to say, but let's stand. I want, the, I want the most anointed song right now in Canada in the hymnal of the church is the national anthem. I want us to stand. I want us to sing. Oh, Canada. And if we can do it with instruments, great. If we have to do it a cappella, that's fine. If you know the first and the fourth verse, the first and the last verse, whatever that is, if you know it, if not, we'll just sing the first one. I want us to sing. I want us to come back up here. I just want to rumble in prayer. I just want us to cry out to God, deliver this land, break through in Canada. I mean now, come on up. Come on up. Let's sing this. Putting you on the spot.